One of the biggest layoffs that happened, just regardless of industry or regardless of size of company, was the middle management. You know, the people that manage managers, there was a lot, a lot of layoffs in that space. And so, you know, somebody that's truly strategic as well as tactical, somebody that doesn't mind rolling up their sleeves, getting their hands dirty, that never wants to be too far away from the work. You know, when an organization is looking at cutting costs, the more you can do the more versus the more you can manage other people and what they do, the more secure that your position is. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another week of the B2BMX Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Claudia. And today, we're going to be talking all about the marketing team of tomorrow. And you may be saying, well, what does that even mean today? I agree. Um, (laughs) But I think uh, this session at B2BMX was really well-received because... One, we have we had a very diverse group of panelists and experts to kind of dig into their own experiences with hiring, empowering their teams. But we also got into a few controversial topics around job hunting and hiring too, right, Claude? I mean, you kind of helped shape this panel. So would love your take on your inspiration for the session, the people you wanted to include in the topics. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, when we were putting the session together, we were kind of just going for like your general topics, you know, developing the right roles, empowering current employees and things like that. But the panelists were so freaking awesome that they kind of went into these like controversial topics without even like us asking them to, which was great. So they kind of talked about things like whether you should be looking for a generalist over a specialist and and really if people actually avoid job hoppers, you know, like those who are kind of in a specific position for like a few months or a year and then just go on to the next one. So there were some really, really great insights there from all of the panelists that I still think are relevant to today, especially as, you know, we kind of go more into the this new normal and, you know, pivot our strategies as, you know, kind of the world starts opening back up again, you know, per se. So there's some really great insights there. Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I had the chance to circle back with Wes Leeser, who was the moderator of the panel. And he is very laser focused on recruiting for anything revolving demand gen, MarTech, marketing ops. So he's kind of our go-to guy around this very topic. And we had a bit of a follow-up discussion around this current situation. You know, a lot of companies kind of navigating their hiring situation, their workforce, looking for gaps in their teams, and also determining, do we look for new people or do we try to empower within the organization? So definitely be sure to stay tuned for that conversation. But first, let's dig into the panel and get some great insights from our team of experts. Uh, 
What Andrew and his team really wanted to do was to give everybody a takeaway. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of marketing over the last three, four days um, and really transitioned to something that uh, isn't marketing, um, but it matters to everybody, okay? Um, so, um, like I said, my name is Wes Leeser, Practice Director for uh, Verseek Search and Consulting. I do recruiting across the country, um, primarily software and technology, right? Specifically in the demand gen and marketing technology space. I've been doing it for about six years. Um, and I, I'm really excited about the panel that we have because I think what we did is, is we wanted to make it applicable for everybody. Um, so we have a big company, Oracle. Uh, Rose is here from Oracle. Um, Narosha is here from Bombora and Michelle from PT, uh, PTC. So I'll let them uh, kind of introduce themselves and we'll go from there. So, okay. Rose. Great. Hi, I'm uh, Rose Spicer. I'm responsible for retail marketing at Oracle. And I have been with Oracle for about 13 years, which is a long time. Um, and I have been doing marketing for about 25 years, so I'm happy to be here. Hi, I'm Narosha. I'm the VP of Marketing at Bombora. So I've been with Bombora for just over four years. Uh, started with them when they were about 20 people. We're just under 130 now, so I'm responsible for, I guess, management of the overall team and focused on our channel marketing, our events, our brand and creative comms. Um, and prior to that was with PwC leading out their marketing across their um, digital and tech consulting. Uh, so I'm Michelle Lero. I'm with PTC. We're a software company headquartered in Boston. We're about 6,500 employees. Uh, so I lead the demand gen function, which includes uh, campaigns, content, and major events. Uh, like the other panelists, I've been doing uh, marketing in the high tech space for 25 years, which I was kind of shocked when I did the number this morning. Uh, started my career uh, first 12 years in PR and then transitioned over into uh, more of a product marketing and demand generation roles in more recent years. Good. Uh, so we want to start uh, on the topic uh, right now, which is a, which is a big one, uh, which is hiring and recruiting. Okay, and raise your hand if you've like interviewed a bad candidate, right? You get in, you get into the interview, you're five minutes in, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like what is going on here? And you're like trying to make up a meeting <laughs> to get you out of that interview as fast as you possibly can. So I think what we're trying to do is, is it's easy to tell, you know, bad from good or bad from great, right? But how do you really tell the good from great? And, and that's you know, when it comes to, to interviewing. So um, what we're gonna do is go through some just kind of interviewing uh, tips and tricks to help kind of differentiate what's, what's good from great. So Michelle, if you wanna start? Sure, um, before I get into the great, uh, you were talking about some bad interviews. I actually, I'm not making this up, had a recent interview with a candidate and when it came to the portion of the interview, I said, do you have any questions for me? Now, what I'm looking for from a great candidate is I want them asking questions about the business. I want to know they did their homework, they researched the company, they researched the role, they researched the company, um, they've shared the expertise they're going to bring. Usually they'll ask about the position, the culture. Uh, this person asked me what hours the uh, company gym was open. That was their only question to me. Uh, that was a huge red flag. Needless to say, that person didn't get hired. Uh, but good to great, a uh, few things I really like to look for in candidates. Um, I'll, looking for a growth mindset, I always ask the question, how do you keep your skills up to date? What do you read? What podcasts do you listen to? What videos do you watch? You know, books, et cetera. Do you go to conferences like this? Um, typically, candidates that have a growth mindset, they're immediately going to say, oh, I, I love this blog, or I read these newsletters, or I belong to this uh, industry group, or I go to meetups. Other candidates, I tend to get a lot of crickets. They really have to think about when was the last time they tried to improve their skills. And so to me, that's usually a bit of a red flag that that's not somebody that's got that growth mindset that I would be looking for. Yeah. 
Okay. Cool. And what I do is um, to, to understand great candidates, we actually do um, an assignment before, um, before meeting me for the, uh, for the first sort of interview. And that assignment tells me a couple of things that I look for, like just fundamentals, um, content for me, for marketers, is just a no, like, no, non-negotiable. You have to be able to, to do content. And the questions we ask sort of start to ask questions around strategy and understanding of the business, as well as values and what they value from a team. Um, and that's, that's super important with Mabora. We've um, cultivated our culture and to be able to have that fit. And that's, that's something that, that's, um, that's really a differentiator as well as having a curious mind. So similar to you, like a lot of questions and just, um, just curiosity beyond the role, about the business and, uh, and really being able to, to think outside the, outside the box of what the role actually is. Raise your hand if uh, assessments and assignments is part of the interview and hiring process. Somebody? Okay, yeah, that's good. And and um, you know, one thing to, to, to consider as well is is uh, like even if it's a whiteboarding. Uh, you know, I, so I have one client um, that I've worked with for a while, and they do a whiteboarding session um, with the individual. It's just an hour that they set aside, and it's not necessarily um, a pass fail, right? Meaning it's not necessarily like they're they're specific. They just want to understand how their mind works, right? And so in, in a lot of these marketing, when when marketing really teeters on you know science and art. Right, um, just to, to understand, uh, you know, one of those things is is, is really good. So that's that's really good. Um, so transitioning into just kind of, you know, obviously marketing is different today than it was three, five years ago, even. Um, you know, how how do you feel? You know, really marketing and hiring, you know, has changed in the last you know three to five years, and and what are some things that, that you do now now today that that you maybe did differently a couple of years ago. So I can start. Um, we actually, um, I think it's changed in the fact that technology allows you to work and live anywhere. Um, specifically with Oracle, I have a team that runs from Italy to California, um, and not a single two people are in the same location. So I think it allows you to really find the best talent, no matter where they are. Um, I think that's important. I think um, the other thing is the roles are changing. So there was a comment that was made yesterday in the keynote is you can't improve what you, what you don't measure. And so you've got to try and find um, roles and ways that measurement works for all the different groups and how it impacts the bottom line. And you and I were talking about that yesterday during the prep. And I think there's a balance of understanding how the mind works when you're talking to the person, but it's also about trying to also discern what their character is all about when you're talking to them, making sure that that passion comes through, that curiosity. I think you guys are all taking the first right step by coming to these conferences, but I would say that the way that it's changed is that the, for us specifically, it's the locations, but it's also the flexibility in the roles that you have. Um, at a big company like Oracle, my team is responsible for, for Marcom, and then we have um, key business partners in the PR and the analyst relations, and, and we have a shared services that's wonderful. So we have the ability to kind of be a little flexible and pull people in that have passion for a particular thing. We put the customer at the center of everything that we do. We talk to our customers all the time. We actually hold our own relationships with our customers, and sometimes we're introducing the salespeople to those customers. So what I look for and the, the flexibility that I have now because of a big organization like Oracle where I have the infrastructure, I can go pick the best candidate and then I can also take those candidates 
figure out what their strengths are and then make the team work so they complement each other. So I think it's changed from that perspective for me in particular. Yeah, yeah I think for us, oh, I think in general, um, for a marketer, it's that you hit on it before around the art and the science. It's not just about being able to, to create and have that, that, um, that artistic bent. Uh, it's also about being able to look at the data, understand metrics and results, mm -hmm. and be able to place value in it. Um, you know, I have a, a graphic producer that works with me, and one of the things, you know, she, she started as an intern and um, came on very much in, in just with just that focus. But um, her, we've really worked with her to understand more broadly around marketing uh, and content and copy, and then being able to look at results as well. And that's really helpful for her because it starts to um, solidify how she what her contribution is as well. So I think that art and science. Um, is really like something that, that's changed a lot. Yeah, I'd say another angle on this, um, and it's one thing that PTC really made a priority, is removing bias from the hiring process. The reality is, as humans, we tend to favor and like people that are just like us, but when that happens, you get a team of people who are all the same. Um, which doesn't encourage you know, new ideas, new thinking. You need people from uh, different backgrounds, different regions, et cetera. So PTC had put in place um, a couple of years ago. It's, I, re I have to admit, initially, I was skeptical, but we use the process now, and I really like it. Uh, before, as the role is created, uh, they do a survey of all the key stakeholders to say, what are the key characteristics this person, the soft skills, not the marketing skills. Mm -hmm. What are the soft skills this person really needs to have if they're actually going to be successful in this role? Uh, they get everyone to consensus, and then uh, the recruiting team is looking for people, not just with the marketing skills, but who's going to have those soft skills. Uh, we then interview as a panel, and every single candidate is asked the same set of questions so that there's fairness and you can really get a true comparison of candidate to candidate versus your natural bias and tendency, which is to hire people who are like you. So it's really been effective and really broadened uh, the type of candidates that we've been able to bring onto the team. Yeah, and I can say too, I mean, just as a recruiter, uh, my job right now is harder uh, than it's ever been in six years. The, the market is so candidate driven. Raise your hand if you've lost a candidate to like a competing offer, a different guy okay, uh, got shot up right away. Yeah, I mean, because they're so, if, if you're interviewing a candidate, okay, even if they're a passive candidate, you have to know that they're interviewing other places, even if they don't tell you. And, and oftentimes it's the nonverbals, right? It's, it's, you know, somebody will say anything, but it's actually what are they doing? How responsive are they to an email, to a recruiter reaching out, to getting you an assignment back? You know, those things are, are so critical because it, when somebody wants the position, like they'll fight for it. And if it's their top opportunity, they'll, they'll really go for it. So um, I want to transition, and we kind of talked about hiring and, and stuff. So moving from, uh, so, Take a moment, kind of shut your eyes, you don't have to shut your eyes, but like picture the best person on your team right now. So like everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's like a warm fuzzy blanket, right? Like that person is just like, oh, they're so good. Now picture that person walking up to you and handing in their notice. Okay, like, whoa. Like how does that change like your perspective, right? So like retaining people, again, as I was just saying, everybody's getting hit up by recruiters, not just your best people. The best people are absolutely but how do you, and, and so retaining people is so important. So, you know, what are some things, you know, that you've done to, to make sure that you, you know, keep your, your best people? 
Yeah, so, um, so I think one of the, the most important things for our team in particular is that trust and transparency. So when you have somebody that's a rising star, when you have somebody, and that just happened to me, where my rising star got recruited inside of Oracle to um, have my responsibility for another industry. So I was very excited for it, but also gutted, as you know. Um, I, I had forewarning on it. It was kind of a strategic top talent rotation, but I think the, the important thing is, is that it was a conversation she was comfortable having with me. It wasn't a surprise to me. It was one of these things where I exposed her intentionally to the management team. I would bring her into my QBRs. I would give her the recognition for the skills that she brought to the table. And I think the key is, is, is giving people credit, but also having an open enough dialogue that says, if this is not what you wanted it to be, we need to keep having a conversation, give them stretch projects, give them opportunities to develop their skills. So I think um, when you have people that are top talent and they're working in a particular area and eventually they'd like to take your job or another job on the mm -hmm. team, yeah. right, and they're looking to get to director level, I think as a manager, you need to recognize where they need to round out their skills and expose them to that. Um, as somebody who's on the team that's aspiring to get to that next level, you should ask for those stretch projects. There's going to be gaps, especially the, the way that marketing is changing so rapidly and so consistently. There's always an opportunity to reach for the, the next ring, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to be proactive and you've got to be a problem solver, so if you don't know the answer, but you show that you can find it, you're gonna build even more trust. But it's all about transparency, it's about trust, and it's about being honest about if the job is meeting, meeting your needs or if you're thinking that you wanna do something different and being the supportive manager to recognize when it's time for someone to go as well. Yeah, LinkedIn actually has, I posted it on my Twitter in preparation for this in case anyone wants to look at the article. I found it fascinating. They came out with new data in November of 2019. Um, they looked across their, they've, so they have 32 million profiles on LinkedIn, so they did their own data analysis just of people moving from job to job. And what they found is that at, in year one, uh, you will have 76% of people will still be at that company at the one-year anniversary at two years, that drops to 59%, and at three years, that drops to 48%. So the person that you hire today, there's a more than 50% likelihood they are not gonna be with your company three years later. Um, but then they looked at what makes people stay? How do you retain people? And they said it really boiled down to uh, three things, and it's a lot of what you just described. The first was people wanna see, um, they want new projects, new roles, promotions, et cetera. It's not always a promotion, but they want it. If they're still doing the same role they were doing three years after they were hired, that's frustrating for people. And if you're not gonna move them within your own organization, they're gonna move somewhere else. So they said there is this three-year cycle that if people don't see progression or promotion within three years, they usually leave. The other was a transparent and honest relationship with their manager, that their manager was was open, was communicative, um, and was very transparent about the person's status within the company. Uh, and then the final one, which I think everyone can relate to, is it was basically around micromanaging. How much control do you as an individual employee have over your day-to-day -day decisions versus how much are you micromanaged? And not surprisingly, companies that have a micromanaging culture don't tend to retain their employees. I'll add, um, I think one thing that, that I found works for, for our retention, like on top of, 
uh, transparency and trust is actually just care. So that's one of the things that I say about uh, our, our team is that we genuinely care about one another. Mm -hmm. So taking the time out as a manager to be able to understand you know, not only the business perspective, but the personal growth about what their family or personal situations might be, because that just creates such a strong connection. Um, and then, you know, whether they are going to move on or not, you have that, um, that I guess, that, that relationship that, that endears that sort of trust around it. Um, and that's something that I've found has been um, a real differentiator in terms of our, our team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, something that I always tell uh, clients and, and, and one of the things is like just very bluntly like if your best people are coming to you to, to like hey what about that promotion or hey what about this or hey what about a pay raise or something you're already behind the eight ball right I mean the proactively I mean you know who your a players are and you need to do everything again and it's not always like that right I mean this we're, we're in very um, interesting times again the, the candidate market's been as in uh, it's been as driven our candidate mar driven market as it's ever been. So at least right now, in order to you know, keep the ball moving in, in the right direction, um, proactively um, you know, compensating and promoting uh, your best people is, is something I, I always uh, advise. Um, so we had talked a little bit earlier about how hiring has changed uh, you know, in the last you know, three to five years. Um, I, or, or actually, excuse me, let me take a step back. Um, so polarizing topic, uh, and, it's, and it, it's a big, uh, it's the elephant in the room when it comes to hiring. Uh, especially in, in marketing, especially in software, uh, and that's job hoppers, right? Uh, everybody's got an opinion, uh, good or bad, on, on what that means, right? Um, and we had a very colorful, I should say, uh, prep when we were discussing that topic. So, Rose, I, I wanted to start with you and just kind of give your, your broad brushstroke on, on job hoppers, and if I need to get in the middle of anybody else, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, we are sitting next to each other. We'll play nice. So it, it was actually very funny. So on the prep call, we had... Um, we had that topic come up and, and I actually have an opening right now in the spirit of transparency. Um, but I was saying, you know, I typically don't even look at the job hoppers. And when I'm saying job hoppers, it's, it's like a year here, a year there, you know, not even enough time to really make an impact at that company. Um, so I think it depends on how you define the job hopping. Um, I'm the opposite of a job hopper um, because I'm always learning about marketing, technology, and the retail industry. So it is never boring. And I also get to call shopping research. So that's a beautiful thing. But <laughs> I, I think with the job hoppers, um, I think it's there's a couple of reasons. And, and I want to make sure I give you your chance to, sure. to say it. Because we had a really good laugh and created a, a nice little friendship early on with our, our disagreement on the job hoppers. So I'm seeing a different light, but I want her to enlighten you guys. Yeah, so Rose, you would have never looked at me as a candidate. Yeah, because I, what we were talking about was, uh, I, so I went through a stage in my career where I, um, I have changed, and I, I've, um, I've, it's been an intentional serendipity. It's a, a term that, uh, that that's, I sort of stole from um, someone at, uh, at Salesforce actually that introduced me to it but really what those changes have been about me growing and learning and being able to um, broaden my skill set. I'm a generalist marketer and that's that's what I've done. So typically what I do is when 
when I look at resumes, I, I look to see like what that reasoning is because I think um, that growth and that shows that appetite, that curiosity to learn um, across industry as well. That, that's always um, super helpful. So that's that's the way we sort so of. So it's funny, it. but I, I think one of the things about the job hopping and and advice that I was given by um, by a mentor of mine was if you're going to move, make sure you're running towards something, not away from something. Um, the other thing is think about the next person that you're going to report to. Are they going to be a manager or are they going to be a mentor? So back to your point about caring and also creating the opportunity. And then it's got to work with your life, right? So whatever, whatever you're reaching for. So sometimes you do need more money because you're relocating or, or what have you. So it's, it's an acceptable thing as long as it's for the right reasons. Skill acquisition, you know, it's... Um, it was it was a fun a fun dialogue. <laughs> so. I'm curious. Can we ask who actually looks at job hoppers and or, or completely bypasses them? Yeah, any just complete. You see a resume, you know, 12 months, 18 months, nine months, 16, and you're just like, nope. Anybody just automatic? Oh wow, yeah. okay, that's a good. Oh, okay. Yeah. See. <laughs> Michelle, did you have any? Yeah, I was kind of in the in the middle of these two, right? I, I'm not, um, exactly. For me, it really comes down to the why. I will not uh, dismiss a candidate simply for job. If, if they do appear to have a good skill set and be somebody that I want to talk to, I'm going to explore that during the interview to try to understand. And I'll typically leave it as a very open-ended question because I want to understand. I'll say, you know, look, I'm. I'm looking at your resume and I'm, I'm seeing very short stints here, here, here. Can you walk me through that? Like, like what's going on? Was, you know. And if somebody says to me, look, I, I started at this, this company and realized I really didn't want to be in uh, product marketing, just wasn't for me, and demand gen was my passion, so I wanted to get, you know. If they can share with me the why, that usually you can then differentiate. Is somebody just chasing the money? Are they just chasing a title? Or is it really that, particularly for people early in their career, they're just trying to find themselves and find where their passion is and find where they fit. So usually I want to explore that during the interview. And you can usually figure out, was it somebody just chasing money or chasing titles? Or was there really a progression here that, that they were trying to follow? Who in the room, quick poll, uh, can, can say that they've went to an organization, got there, and like within six weeks were like, oh. This was the best. This was a wrong move. We got one. A lot of people. And, and, and that, that's what I tell people. It, 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 in, in this world, especially in tech, everybody misses, right? You just, you miss. You think something has, you know, that there's a high upside uh, and a low, low side. Uh, but everybody, everybody, I mean, if you, if you, you take enough at-bats, you're going to swing and miss sometimes. And, and that just happens. What, what I always tell people is it's about creating empathy. And Michelle, I, I think we have the, the exact same viewpoint on it. If, if you're looking at a resume and automatically disqualifying somebody because of this without understanding the why, I, I think you're doing yourself uh, a disservice. I actually wrote a, a blog, which I thought I was going to get... Uh, uh, you know, thrown off a building, but it was called Why You Should Hire a Job Hopper. And it was basically that concept, is just understand the reasons why um, you should do that. But the, the backlash I got on that was, was pretty good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so just uh, kind of in transition, and, and we had talked earlier about how hiring has changed over the course of the last three, five years. I mean, marketing has as well. And I think, you know, there's positions that exist today that weren't weren't around. There was no titles for them, you know, three, five years ago, right? And one we talked about right away was just RevOps, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, maybe for, you know, for everybody out there that's having a, a hard time filling a position, like what's maybe a position that you found has been difficult to hire in? And what are some characteristics that you look for that aren't necessarily, oh, you had this title at this company, so I'm, now I'm going to hire you for the same position? Who wants to start that one? I can jump in on that. Um, so some of the tough-to-hire for positions, uh, pretty much anything in marketing operations is very challenging to hire for. It's a very competitive market. Um, product marketing can be really challenging. I feel like the, the role of product marketing has changed very dramatically over the last five years. Um, that's a position that it really depends on the company. Um, so somebody can have extensive experience in product marketing and maybe at their current company it's all about messaging and positioning and sales enablement, but then you go to a different company and they define product marketing very differently. In fact, it'll tend to skew a little bit more toward what I would consider demand gen versus product marketing. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some skill sets. RevOps, as you mentioned, is a very... Um, New emerging, I was just in a session uh, today and they had some stats around it. I think it was from uh, Serious Decisions that even as recently as 2018, it was maybe like 15% of organizations were either thinking about or had a RevOps. Uh, by 2019, I think it was something like 40-something percent either have or are considering a RevOps. Right? That's not a role that exists. So how do you find people for a role that doesn't exist? And one of the... Um, strategies, particularly if you're in a larger company, is to look internal, right? Um, you have a lot of good people with a lot of good skill sets. These are new roles. You're going to need skills around. I was actually talking to somebody this morning about this. They were concerned, you know, they felt like maybe their job was going to start to get automated and they were going to get phased out of a particular role because now there's all this cool tech and software coming out that can automate some of these processes that today are very manual. And I said, look, as long as you um, are somebody who is always pursuing new skill sets, uh, delivers high quality work, delivers results, they'll always be a home for you in an organization. And as marketing evolves, these new roles are going to open up and you'll be very well positioned. If you've proven yourself as dependable, curious, a problem solver, people are going to be willing to, I think they call it upskilling now, they're going to be willing to train people into these new roles because you're never going to be able to recruit for them because they don't exist yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say, um, the, the role that we've had a challenge um, recruiting for is a generalist, so a marketing generalist, and this did come up in our prep call as well. Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's uh, like a little bit of a dying breed. Um, in terms of like looking at all the different specializations, but I think there's still immense value in having a generalist to be able to uh, look across the board and be able to uh, go go across a different number of different facets and still be able to rise up from there. And that's that's something that we've um, that we've struggled to I've struggled to certainly find. Mm -hmm. I think for us. Um the, the one thing that's changed in all of the roles is that everybody's got to write. Everybody's got to be comfortable just taking pen to paper or sitting down and writing and really just giving it a shot and, and creating that safe net for them. So from a, a difficult to hire, there's a role that I have on my team. It's field marketing, and it's really about being good with people. It's really about um, understanding the software that we sell and then being able to articulate that story. So I would say the storyteller is kind of a tough one to find because it's a balance of 
not just being a writer, but you also have to be an extrovert. You also have to be willing to make the ask, right? And whether it's you coaching them through and it's, it's in written form or it's a video or whatever it is, but being comfortable enough not only to talk to a C-level executive, but also to put pen to paper. Yeah. I think that's tricky. Yeah, I was, I was actually um, uh, on the phone or talking to a, a client and I had presented them with a, a panel of candidates and, and one of the candidates actually that they had initially like disqualified right away, they're like, well, this resume doesn't look, it was a, actually a director of product, product marketing role. And they said right away, they're like, well, this doesn't look like anything. And, and I said, if you want me, if, if you want somebody that's just gonna you know, compare resumes and, and you just, you don't wanna miss. And, and that's what I think happens a lot of times with hiring managers is they want what somebody else hired somebody for because the, uh, if, if something happens where something doesn't go right, they can kind of wash their hands, well, 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 you know what, that's what they said, I got fooled, it's not my fault, you know, stuff like that. And I think what we need to do as, as hiring managers is, is really read between the lines and understand the person. And if, even if their skill set doesn't perfectly align, I, I always like to say hire the person um, as opposed to the skill set. Mm -hmm. um, now that might be short-sighted, but I mean, you're working with these people all the time, and, and I think that's just, that's so important, so. Yeah, you can't change character, right? So yeah, if, you've got, if you've got passion, if you've got energy around something, it comes across, right? It'll come across in the assignments that are done. It'll come across in the way that you talk about something. You've got you've to really kind of find a way to convey your passion for something. And I think with these roles that we don't know about that are going to come, there's going to be more, right? You've just got to, you're going to look at the people that have the passion because you can't, you can't create passion. There's either fire in the belly or there isn't, right? So I think one of the things is, is you, want, you want that high energy. You want that we can do this, problem solving, no complaining. Everybody moves forward, and you do it together. And that's what I look for more than, more than skill sometimes, because the skill is the part that you can teach. I right. agree. And I think, too, we talked about like transparency and just being transparent um, you know, with, with your employees. And I think that's absolutely important. And if you, you know, come to the table and, and literally talk to a candidate and say, hey, you know what? You weren't the most qualified, right? You weren't the most qualified person for this position, but we're hiring you anyways because we think that there's more in there and we think that this is going to be a next step. I mean, how impactful is that, you know, to an individual that you're hiring and they're bought in and they're just gung-ho and, and ready to go and, and they're, they're just bought in because you gave them their shot, right? Um, and so we're, we're running up against some time here and just so kind of as a takeaway, you know, from an audience and, and you know, one of the things... Um, you know, as, as, you're, as the audience is, is kind of sitting there and, you know, maybe they're a, a specialist looking to get to a manager or a manager looking to get to a director, a director, VP, so on and so forth, um, you know, what's one piece of advice or, or a tip that you would, you know, give a, a member of the audience about something that they can do today to advance their career, you know, in the next three to five years? I'll, I'll start. Okay. Another acronym, ABL. Always be learning. Yeah. That's something that I think, um, you know, whether it's growing, whether it's networking, um, you know, whether it's speaking on stage, whatever it is, um, always be learning, always be growing and doing something different. I think that, that having that really helps to be able to um, broaden yourself and, and grow into, these, into the, next, the next iteration of what, whatever your career is. Mm -hmm. I'd also say, too, um, there's something, again, I came from a PR background initially, reputation management. I think that's true of an individual as an employee. Um, really be thinking about, I, I mentioned it before, right? If, 
if you want to set yourself up well for the future, uh, first and foremost, grow your network both in and outside your company. Be known as somebody who's a good, wow, that person's a, a go-getter, they're a smart marketer, they're a modern marketer, uh, they're dependable, they deliver results, right? And how do you do that? You do that. You have to manage your, your own reputation. Um, conferences like this apply to speak, right? If you've done some amazing project within your company, you ran a campaign that delivered amazing results, well, submit that for a conference like this and come here and speak. Submit for awards, right? Get that third-party validation. Um, get, get it known that you are somebody that's really going to deliver results. Um, when I say grow your network, particularly within your company, don't just stick to marketing, right? Get to know people in customer success. Get to know people in IT. Get to know people in finance, right? So that it's sort of what they're, you know, what are they saying about you when you're not in the room, right? And that's how you grow your reputation. If, if you're not in the room and somebody says, hey, what do you think is so-and-so? Like, manage that reputation so that, oh, that person, yeah, I heard they're doing great, great things. You have to do a bit of self-advocacy and it can be a bit uncomfortable for people, but the reality is uh, if you're not, out there telling your company in the world what you're doing, they're just not going to be aware of it. So I'd say definitely um, use that opportunity at conferences like this to network, et cetera. Um, and it really just sets, sets you up for future progression in your career. I actually, that's where I found um, the person that just got promoted. So I came here five years ago and she had been a, a killer content award winner and she also presented and I'm like, I want that one on my team, right? And so I literally, I'm like, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? So I went up and I said, any chance you'd think about working for Oracle? And she said, well, I'm not, not looking. And so it is, it is a really great um, way to, um, to, to be noticed, right? So as we walk around and, and we're, we're watching these presentations, people are taking notice, right, of what you guys are talking about, how you're engaging in the workshops. So don't be shy about it. If you've got questions, other people probably have those questions. So it's that always be learning, it's be curious, it's be vocal, right? And put yourself out there. I think that's important. And then the other, the last thing that I would say is, is I would kind of be a little introspective. So um, Todd Henry was talking about taking the time to like refresh, right? Or be, or fresh, that's what it was. And it's about kind of being honest with yourself and what makes you tick. Right? So what makes you happy? Because I have a theory that if, if you're a happy employee, you're a productive employee. So it's also about taking that, that rhythm that he talked about, that work-life balance or the rhythm, whatever you believe, making sure that you take the time to kind of bring your best foot forward when you come to work. But also think about what's your passion and try and align your next role with something that's gonna make you super excited. Get those geek moments and like really dig in. That's what I would say. Who, who in here has a personal agent? Anyone? No? No? I didn't think so. <laughs> I, it's, I'm being uh, a little bit uh, obviously sarcastic. But I mean, the, you have to be your biggest advocate, right? And, and one of the, the biggest things that I, that I always tell people is the, the rule of thumb is uh, one per month. And, and what that is, is is one new coffee, one new connection of, of somebody that you don't know okay, that you want to connect with one per month, 12 a year, set it up as like the third Thursday of every single month. It is on your to-do list to find somebody new to network with. And, and the biggest thing too, so I, I go back to um, 
I'm from Minneapolis, so I go back to the University of Minnesota and we do kind of like college interviewing and prep courses. And one of the things that they always teach you in college, right, is to, you know, uh, network in and reach out to somebody and buy them coffee and see what they're doing over there. And, and that's one of the things that I always tell people, if, if there's a hot company in your area that you want to work for, ping the high, and when you're not looking, right, that's the best time to network because you don't want anything out of it. So reach out to somebody, hey, you know what? You're doing great things at your company. I've been hearing you, about you guys everywhere. I would love to sit down with you and just learn more. I mean, think about that. If you're a hiring manager and you had somebody reach out to you that just wants to learn about your company, you kind of look at their profile and they're like, oh, wow, they kind of look like a rock star. Like you're, like, you're telling me you're not gonna take that meeting? You know, so always take that same aggressive approach with your own career, you know, and I think that's what you, I think everybody on the, on the panel was saying. So um, we have about eight minutes uh, before uh, we kind of disband here. So I um, just wanted to open it up to any questions that we have in the audience. Um, you know, for the panelists here, oh, I saw a hand go up in the back. It had to be all the way in the back. Yeah, <laughs> there's another one closer. I think they're getting <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she's got them right. Hi. Lynn Sampson, I'm also with Oracle. Rose planted me in the audience. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did. Thank you, Lynn. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to ask you about uh, the comment you made about writing and storytelling. Uh, one of the things that I've been hearing from um, a lot of people that I work with and from other companies is that they want to bring more of that writing, storytelling uh, ability in-house as opposed to using third-party agencies for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you think is a good idea, or is it something that we're even going to be able to do, given the, the lack of talent that seems to be out there? Um, I, think, I think, yeah. Um, what we do with our storytelling right now is we use our PR agency, so somebody that we're working on a bunch of messaging with already, and so they've got some talented writers within that. It's just really hard to hire that role on your team because you want them to be doing, you want them to be a little bit of a generalist because you've got more things to do than just the writing. So it's hard to, to retain just a single writer, but I absolutely think that there's some great talent in this conference that can help you create the storytelling. And it also kind of gets you outside of yourself because sometimes you get too close to the flame, you're too close to the story. And while you think you've told a good story, somebody from outside of your industry could probably give you a little feedback. Mm -hmm. so, so I think, yeah. Does that answer your question or comment? Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Thanks, it, Lynn. It, 20 it, later. Yeah. And just to <laughs> piggyback on that, what I've found, um, and there was a question up here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what I found, uh, I've heard companies do that I actually thought was, was really, really great, is they do like an internal promotion to where they tell everybody in their organization, hey, we need an article written on XYZ. This is a way for you to advance your career, develop your personal brand, your storytelling. You know, maybe write, even if it's a bullet pointed, and then we can have somebody just kind of edit it for the most part. Um, that's something that. Yeah, ours right now are, are um, the storytelling. We start with a frame and then we kind of build off of each other. And it works pretty well. It's just. Um, it would be great to have more people that Content wrote. is king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what, right up here. Yeah. Sorry. So you talked a little bit about assignments and how that's a great way, and I completely agree. Um, but what about for more of the um, marketing generalist and you have an assignment where they're not as 
uh, technical or tactical, and you just want to give them an assignment to understand more if they're a good fit as a generalist, what would you kind of suggest would be a good assignment for that? Yeah, so um, actually the, the assignment that we do, it is, it, it is actually, it's not a technical assignment that we give. It's um, just four questions. You know, why Bombora? Um, what, if, you were at this, if you were the CEO at your current company, what would you change? Three, what were the three things that you would change? Um, what do you value about a manager and a team? Um, I can't, I, it's gone, yeah, no, it's the lights. Um, but, you know, for me, those questions, they aren't technical, but they start to, um, they, they sort of uh, bring out the curiosity. Because for me, those are the questions that you should be answering anyway before an interview. Like, this is, I, I'm, like, I'm kind of helping you do your prep. So the, the questions that we ask aren't necessarily technical, certainly for marketing. I know that other departments have more technical, <laughs> technical tests, but it's just a bit more of a, um, an opportunity to be able to do some research, be able to show me that you've understood be able to show me a little bit more about your personality and also think strategically about a business. So that, those are the questions that, that I ask and um, you know, there, are other, there are others I'm sure that, um, that are recommended, but those are the things that, that, that we ask, that I certainly ask every candidate that's, that's come in. I think one of the things that, that I would ask for a generalist role is what role did you play? So I usually ask for examples of campaigns that they're most proud of or activities or projects that they've done in the past. And then I want to know what role they played. Were they the leader? Were they more on the creative side? Did they really kind of contribute this piece of it? And you also want authenticity in that. You don't want somebody to um, come forward and also say, I own the whole thing. I did everything myself. And then you find out later that you made a really bad hire because you're like, oh, you haven't done that before. OK, great, right? Um, so yeah. Being being nervous of the yes candidate, and I'm sure we've all been like, can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Wow, you're so great. Like, why have you had you know five jobs in four years or something? I don't know. It just uh, you know that's a, a can be a, a red flag as well. And then I think to, to piggyback on that point, um, the portfolio. I mean, it, it, as a as a demand gen marketer, mm -hmm. I mean, to your I think that's so great. Like I always ask that question too. Like, give me one or two examples of campaigns that you've run that you're most proud of. And then if they have those examples on what they did and the cadence through it, almost like in a slide deck, mm -hmm. um, that you're golden to, to put that stuff. Yeah, I would, I would recommend that people put their portfolio together, right? Even if you didn't do the whole thing, if you played a role in it and it had great results, be honest about your role in it. But there's a lot of really great collaborative projects that we do as teams. And I think the important thing is, is there's value in having somebody that's a really great project manager. There's value in being the person that comes up with the idea. Maybe that doesn't execute to the end. But I think there's different strengths that you want on the team. To your point earlier, you don't want to hire everybody the same as you. You need people that are going to keep you on task. And you need people that have those creative ideas that are going to say, well, we did this before, but why couldn't we flip it on its side? Right? So you need a little bit of both. So it's just it's good to understand the type of personality and figuring out if you have that gap on your team. Because sometimes it's not just about the skills you're looking for, it's about how they collaborate with other people. Yeah. Any, anybody else? Oh, one, one more. 
So you guys talked about job hopping. Uh, for the 48% that actually stay for three plus more years, when is that red flag of they've stayed too stagnant in the same position? Such a, that is a, I don't want to answer it, that, but that's a great question. I, I don't know. I've I, been here for 13 years. Maybe yeah. I'm red flagged. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I, um, I don't have any issues. I mean, tech, I've always worked in tech my whole career, and like, there seems to be this four to seven years, somewhere between years four and seven, people tend to move on to the next thing. If I see somebody's been at a company for nine, 10, 11, 12 years, I'll ask about their progression there. And if I see that they were in a variety of different roles and they showed that that always be learning, that ABL, like if they just show that enthusiasm, that excitement, I'm less concerned that they stayed at the same company because it's more interesting to me that they evolve they evolved themselves over time even though they stayed at the same company but if there's somebody that's been at the same company for 10 years and they're in the exact same job they were in when they started um, and they don't appear to have any of the current skill sets etc then I'm going to be you know that's going to be less interesting so one quick final thought on, on that topic so I have a, a, a concept it's called chasing a ghost okay and so when you take a person that's been in an organization for, let's call it 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe it was bought by a private equity firm and it's different now, and then you know, they've been there for a long time, and, and I always ask the question, so help me understand what you're looking for. And if the first thing is they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for what this company was 10 years ago, and the people that I worked with, and this and that, I, I'm, you're never gonna have that again. You know, and, and you'll see somebody, you know, they'll do a 10-year run and then they'll maybe do, you know, six months and eight months and, okay, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for that. I mean, you can't chase a ghost. So I think it's, it's just knowing, you know, what and, and how that plays into your career progression um, is, is kind of a good concept. So um, anyways, so let's give it a, oh, uh, one more. One, one more. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Thank you. Um, for the fellow introverts in the room, I'm wondering uh, what roles are best suited for us and if you have any tips on like networking or breaking out and um, being better at like the more extroverted roles. I would use um, LinkedIn, right? Because you don't have to, it, it's, it's a one-to-one -one connection if you use LinkedIn, right? If you're a little bit shy at one of these things, um, you could kind of go and find the speakers that are going to be on the program and introduce yourself and try and connect with them even before the conference. So then when you meet them in person, you may not be as intimidated because you may have had a one-to-one -one dialogue on like the chat on LinkedIn as an example. That might be a way to kind of get yourself more comfortable. Um, and then the other thing is, is remember that everybody put their, puts their shoes on the same way, right? So don't be afraid to come up and talk because you can, you've got smart things to say that you can share with other people. So that's the beauty of being in a place like this. Yeah, I think, and part of it, it's just around practice as well. Um, being able to, to go up and, uh, like, I, um, I like the idea of coming by yourself because it, it, whenever I, I, I travel, I like to travel, it's one of my hobbies, um, and I'd like to travel by myself because what it does is it puts me out of my comfort zone and then it forces me to go and meet other people and, and do, you know, and, and have different experiences that I wouldn't normally have. So you can translate that back to, to work and that experience. Put yourself out of your comfort zone and push through that because I think we create like the worst possible scenario in our head um, and the reality of it is it's not going to be that bad. Great. 
Well, uh, that concludes the panel. I would uh, give a round of applause for, uh, for our you. panelists Thank here. Welcome back. Well, we told you at the top of the episode that we would have Wes back to join us for a follow-up conversation. Wes did such a fantastic job moderating our panel at B2BMX, and he is obviously our go-to around anything involving workplace trends, hiring best practices, how to master employee training, loyalty, all of that great stuff. So we're going to do a bit of a catch-up with him. Wes, thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely, Alicia. Thanks for having me on and definitely an interesting time. And I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners have a lot of questions as far as what's going on. So happy to, to shed light and, and help out in any way. Yeah, definitely a lot to dig into. But let's start at the high level, the 5,000 foot view. A lot of different things happening, I think, especially in the B2B space. We're seeing on one end of the spectrum, Significant layoffs, furloughs, you know, definitely a very uncertain time for a lot of companies. But then on the other end of the spectrum, some companies really ramping up hiring. Very, very wide spectrum here happening. So why don't you kind of break down what you're seeing in terms of how COVID is impacting the workforce, how companies are uh, approaching hiring, enablement, uh, again, so many topics, but would love to, to hear your take on what trends are really rising to the top for you. Yeah, and thanks. And that's a great just kind of overview. Uh, it's definitely a unique situation, one that uh, I've never come across before. I, I don't think really anybody has come across before. And and, and so what, what happened was, is at the beginning, companies just, if you were, if they were hiring, they put a position on hold or they kind of played the wait and see. Now, there was a lot of different, I suppose, just more so industries impacted. You know, when COVID hit, if you were in the, you know, retail, hospitality, entertainment, travel, there was just an immediate stop and, and halt to everything. Obviously, those as far as layoffs were, were some of the first companies that were impacted. Then you had a lot of other organizations that just really put a pause on, on things and, and they took the time to assess how is this really going to impact our organization and, and what we should do. And so there was, I would say, if an organization had a kind of quote unquote pre-existing condition um, and weren't in the best situation financially, there was another round of layoffs. So that was kind of the first initial two rounds that we did see. And there are kind of following up on that. There has been some organizations since that have said, well, actually, we're not impacted as much as we might have thought. And, and now's really a time to where we can capitalize on you know, some of the people that did get laid off and do some hiring. So people are looking at this as a as an opportunity. Now, on the flip side of that, you do have the the individuals that that were laid off. But at the same time, a lot of times what you have is, is candidates that are in the market are the passive candidates, you know, candidates that aren't really active, but they're kind of looking for something that's a little better than their current situation. And what we're seeing is a lot of those candidates are sitting tight. They're looking at it, you know, from a standpoint of the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't or, or something, yeah. you know, that is known as better than something that's not. So they kind of don't want to be the you know last person in the door, first person out. So while it might seem there's a lot more, you know, free agents on the market, the actual candidate pool is, is pretty similar to what we've seen in years past. Oh, it's fascinating. So looking at the companies that have 
had to go through layoffs, furloughs. Is there a longer term implication here? Like, how, like what's the sustainability of those of those efforts? Like, is this going to be a long term issue? Like, looking at it through the lens of B two B specifically, I guess, in order to narrow our conversation, because I know there are still a lot of factors that haven't been cemented yet. Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And, and I always say, if, if you're going to take advice, take it from a person who's qualified to give you the advice or, you know, only speak to your experience. And if you look at my background, and, and obviously, if, if you've heard me speak before, I specialize almost exclusively in the intersection of marketing, sales and technology, right? The demand gen, the ops, the, the MarTech space. And so these are going to be revenue producing, pipeline building, growth minded marketers. Okay. And so, you know, in a time like this, I mean, if, if I'm looking for long term, I really don't think it's going to have much of a negative impact. In fact, I actually think it's going to be the inverse. And if you did, you know, have to lay off some marketers now, because we all know, uh, you know, when there's a recession, typically marketing gets hit first. Well, if sales isn't able to come up with more leads and drive more revenue, that almost puts more of an emphasis on, well, you know, this marketing thing that we maybe didn't think that we needed before. Wow, we actually really need it now. Uh, I was actually (laughs) having a conversation with a chief revenue officer yesterday, uh, Monday, actually, and he had said that they went from getting somewhere between 25 and 30, now these are enterprise, but 25 and 30 leads per month. They currently got four. Wow. That was, yeah, because they made some changes to their marketing. And now they're like, oh, actually, you know what? We need to find somebody for this position right away. So long term, I think in a demand gen revenue producing space, if anything, I think it's going to more emphasize the, the need for proven revenue producing marketers. Interesting. Yeah, that actually ties really nicely to to what my next question for you was around what those roles would be. You keep saying revenue generating. And I think that's a very important distinction. Obviously, there's been a lot of research now around the heightened pressure on marketers. I mean, even before this, this current climate. I mean, we were hearing marketers were were tasked to better track the tangible impact on their campaigns, their initiatives. So, I mean, I, I think it's kind of like a case where COVID kind of accelerated the need for, for people who had the skill sets to create these highly advanced campaigns, you know, the ability to measure and analyze. So are we going to see in terms of hiring trends, the roles that companies are attempting to fill? Is it going to be leaning more towards that space or or what titles, so to speak, are rising to the top in terms of priority? Yeah, great question. You know, anything with operations, whether it be, you know, marketing ops, sales ops, revenue ops, tying it all together, those are still the most in-demand positions uh, that we have companies uh, wanting us for. If there's a four-year Marketo expert, somebody that's going to be very hands-on, that's still a very, very, very in-demand position. And that's just going to continue. I mean, if you really think about it, and a company's having a hard time either growing their existing accounts or adding new logos, well, where do you need to realize those, I don't want to say cost savings, but you need to get more operationally efficient in order to still be effective and, and hit your number, right? And so ops is is really important, even more so now during COVID and during a recession. So I see that trend definitely continuing. And the other thing too is, you know, somebody that is that true 50-50 player coach, 
right? One of the biggest layoffs that happened, just regardless of industry or regardless of size of company, was the middle management. You know, the people that manage managers, there was a lot, a lot of layoffs in that space. And so, you know, somebody that's truly strategic as well as tactical, somebody that doesn't mind rolling up their sleeves, getting their hands dirty, that never wants to be too far away from the work. You know, when an organization is looking at cutting costs, the more you can do, the more versus the more you can manage other people and what they do, the more secure that your position is. Interesting, interesting. That kind of ties into during the panel, I know there was a big conversation around, do you look for a generalist or do you look for someone who has a very specific focus? And I think kind of hits on both in a way, because you have to be strategically minded, but also be able to be willing to dive into the deep end if you really need to with the rest of your team. Mm-hmm. And and two, and you bring up a really great point because I also think it depends upon the size and the type of organization that you're in. You know, again, I'm biased in that I generally work with companies that are in the, you know, 50 to 250, maybe $400 million in revenue and below. Once you get into the much larger organizations, having somebody that's a really great manager of people to make sure that you get the most effectiveness out of your team is very important. Now, when you have a five-person marketing team, that's not as important. So again, definitely as I'm giving these answers, again, just know that they're going to be a little bit geared towards the typical client that I work with, which is going to be more of that SMB space. Okay. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So I I guess the the follow-up question there is we've talked about roles, key titles that that companies are going to be looking for or hiring for outside of their organization. And I guess my question for you is, is there an opportunity for organizations for for the C-level to kind of look within their current talent pool and see, you know, who can fill the gaps that they may have, but it just may require a bit of upskilling? Is that a talking point at all in the conversations that you're having? 100%. And that's probably the best point that you brought up. I feel like (laughs) I've said you brought up so many great points. What we found initially, and, and this was right when COVID hit, when a company had a position open, let's say they were working on a senior director of, of marketing, okay? As opposed to, and, and these are a lot of times companies that aren't necessarily you know, working with a distributed workforce or remote workforce. And so what, as opposed to bringing on somebody at a much more senior level, what they ended up doing was promoting somebody internally into kind of that interim position and then backfilling a lot of their day-to-day responsibilities with a contractor. Right. So if you're an organization and it's, hey, gosh, you know, we're, we're just kind of uncertain. Again, it kind of goes back to with candidates, you know, staying put in their current organization because they know the company. I would very much recommend companies do the same thing. Right. Work and promote people inside of their company because they know them. They know the inner workings. There's just much less of a risk promoting somebody internally and then backfilling some of that day-to-day technical responsibilities with, say, like a three-month contractor. No, oh, that's great advice. So let's get into the nitty-gritty recommendations because, I mean, our panel that we shared earlier already had such great insights, experiences, I think that are still applicable today. But let's look at this through the lens of the current climate, new realities, um, <laughs> unprecedented times, however you <laughs> prefer that to uh, explain it. Yeah, that yeah, word. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's start with the folks that you know, maybe looking for new 
opportunities, either because they were laid off or, or maybe it's those folks that are maybe quietly looking for opportunities in the background. What recommendations do you have for them right now as they continue that hunt for the perfect role? The biggest thing that I tell people is to make sure that you know and understand the value proposition that you bring to the table over other candidates. Okay. And in my opinion, uh, and this is in my opinion, now isn't the time to change careers or necessarily pivot industries, right? If you're somebody that has, you know, 15 years of uh, fintech experience and you're looking to transition into cyber cybersecurity, I'm not saying don't do it, but just know that that you know, transitioning is tough in general, but doing that now when you're going to be competing against a lot of candidates that have, you know, maybe five to 10 years of cybersecurity experience is going to be very, very difficult. Okay. So I think it's, it's really, I, I talked to so many people that, you know, maybe they did get laid off and they face that, that burnout or they're frustrated and they just, it's like, you know what, it's time for a change. I totally understand that. And I can totally empathize with that. Just know that changing that career is going to be very, very difficult at any point, you know, let alone in the current climate. Okay. So that's just kind of one to understand the value proposition that you bring and and to focus on that. Two is, is really use this time to not necessarily work your own network, but expand on your network. People are so willing to help out other individuals in this point in time. The more outreach that you can do, the more doors that you can knock on yourself, leveraging your network. Hey, who can you introduce me to? That kind of stuff. People are are more willing now than I've ever seen in my career. They're more willing now to, to go out of their way to help somebody. Okay, so definitely leverage your network. And in three, one of the things I tell people to do is really focus on this time to get that certification and or training or whatever that you've been pushing off because you've been so busy. You know, use this time and really show that you're committed to investing in yourself. E-learning companies, I had a couple of clients that were e-learning companies. And when COVID hit, I, you know, I was kind of like, oh, are they going to put the position on hold? No, they hired like crazy. They expected to grow. So focus on how you can continuously improve your skill set. Then the story that you go back and, oh yeah, you know, COVID hit, but you know what? I really used this time to focus on these two certifications because I'd been pushing them off. Now you're just showing employers that you're taking the initiative to continuously improve yourself. So that's a, a great thing that, that I would recommend people doing as well. Love that. Really powerful. I think three key takeaways for the individuals. Now let's go to the companies and maybe break these down by the scenarios. Like, so on one side, we have the companies that are trying to upskill and, and kind of bring people into new roles based on what they currently have in place, you know, the employees they have in place. And then to the folks that are going through that hiring boost in order to make up, I mean, what recommendations do you have for them to help them find the right people, empower their people the right way in order to kind of set their path forward as effectively as they possibly can. I mean, even in light of uncertainties that are still going on. Yeah. And and I'll break it down. So the first one I'll uh, just address is a company that maybe had to lay off some people in their marketing team. Okay. okay? And, And the biggest advice you know, when it comes to, you know, bolstering employee engagement and, and really empowering is to proactively compensate, give bonus or do whatever you think you need to do to show the appreciation to the people that are still with you. 
because there is nothing, there's not a better way to lose some of your best people than to make them feel underappreciated or undercompensated. So if you had to, you know, if you have a 10 person marketing team and you had to lay four people off, that doesn't mean work went away. That just means six people are now doing the work of 10 people. And I can guarantee you, I'm going to get an amen with like half the people that are listening to this. If you had to go through it, because the work doesn't go away. It just falls on the plate of more people. So as a manager, as an organization, like understanding that situation and using the proactive approach to say, hey, you know what? You've had a really rough summer. You actually lost a couple of people on your team that you were really close with. You know, here's a bonus or here's a this or, you know, here's a promotion. If you can do that as an organization, I would strongly, strongly recommend that. Okay. If you're looking to capitalize on talent or if you're looking to backfill some positions as an organization, the first thing that I would do, and and I think most people do a great job of it, but look to your current employees. Again, leveraging their network and the the network of the employees that you already have is going to be very, 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 very critical. Because again, there's a lot of really good people that did get laid off. And so asking for recommendations and referrals, first off, is the best way to go about it. If you do have to go about it, the thing of it is, if you post a position right now, because there's such a high volume of candidates in the marketplace, just be aware that you are going to get an extremely high number of candidates. I posted a head of marketing position like a month ago, and I had 400 applicants over the weekend wow. where I actually had to take it down because yeah. I, I'm one, I'm me. I'm one person. I can't sift through 400 applicants in a 48-hour period. It's, it's, it's just it's very difficult. Okay. So just know that that volume is going to come. And so making sure that you're proactively training your recruitment team, your HR team, who's ever doing this to say, Hey, we're going to post this. You're going to get a lot of applicants. Here are the three things I'm looking for. And I I know we do that already, you know, as hiring managers, but just emphasizing it more now, because the reason I say that is because you can have your HR people get very frustrated. They'll post a position, they'll get 250 applicants in, in a day or two. And then they'll almost get so frustrated that they actually stop going through some of the applicants, knowing that there's actually one or two or five really good candidates in that applicant pool. But they'll just get overwhelmed with the sheer volume. Okay. So definitely coach and train your HR team and your recruiters that that is what's going to happen and and focus on, you know, what they should look for. Okay. And one kind of final thing I'll, I'll just want to address as an organization is, and I've had this question come up a lot with clients is they'll say, well, since we're going to be hiring somebody that's currently a free agent, don't you think that we can get him for you know, much less than what we would have paid for them at the beginning of the year. Okay. And I understand if somebody's out of work, that they're likely willing to take a lesser compensation than if they were not looking at all. That rationale makes sense. Here's the thing that I would just throw caution to is if let's just use simple numbers for say, like if somebody's used to making $100,000 or $120,000 a year, is it possible for you to offer them, you know, if they're making 120, is it possible for you to offer them 100 and they take the offer? Yeah, it's possible. Well, in six months from now, 
when, or three months from now or six months from now, when somebody comes knocking on their door and say, Hey, I got this great opportunity and I'll, you know, I'll hire you for 120. Well, they're used to making 120. You don't want to lose that person, right? To another opportunity. Now you've spent, you know, three, six months training them, getting up all that sweat equity that you've put into this person only to have them leave in a short period of time because they found an opportunity that was going to pay them what they were used to making. So again, I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong answer. It's just something to be aware of as you're looking to compensate people when hiring during COVID or post-COVID. Yeah, some really great points there, Wes, I think for individuals, but also for executives that may be responsible for hiring, building their teams up. So a lot of great recommendations there. Thank you so much for breaking those down for us. We're at the top of our time together right now, but where can folks go to learn a little bit more about you, get some good insights, and, and just stay connected and ensure that they're they're set up for success as new developments emerge and you know as they uh, continue to figure out what their plan of action is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I work for a company called Versique. Think of the two words versatile and unique smashed into one. So it's V E R S I. Q-U-E. We have a full demand gen page on Verseek. Um, I'm also all over LinkedIn. So feel free. I'm actually, it's, it's linkedin.com slash demand gen recruiter. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy if you're in the, the B2B space, but I'm all over LinkedIn. I have a couple of videos. I did a, a, a job search webinar um, that I did right at the onset of COVID that's on that page as well. So you can definitely you know log into either the webpage of the of Verseek or, or my personal LinkedIn page and get all this information as well. Great, Wes. Well, thanks again so much for taking the time out. It's always wonderful to catch up with you and just get to the heart of the issues that really matter to our listeners. So really appreciate you taking the time out and, and being so candid with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks everyone out there for listening. Take care. <laughs>